I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 55 of Season 6 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 uh, Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again in order to finish off this week is Alan Sanders of The Alan Sanders Show. Welcome back to my show, Alan. Hey, great to have you. Wait, what the hell? <laughs> Sorry. You can leave that if you want. Great to be back. I'm so used to hosting my own show. My brain went on autopilot for a second because I was distracted. I was like, great to have. Wait, you're not. I'm not having you. You're having me. I'm not no, a congressman. <laughs> Hello. Welcome. How are you? No politics. We're no all politics. fine here. Here. How are you? Yes. yes. Thank you, Han Solo. <laughs> yes, I got the job. No, I, got I the am so glad to be here to close out the week. Uh, good to be here. Yes, good to have you here, too. <laughs> so, minute 55 begins with Potter acting quite happy and giddy and ends with Uncle Billy having some regrets. So, mm-hmm. basically, we, we ended things yesterday with George getting a phone call, or actually, Billy getting a phone call that he, that he quickly you know, passed off to George and it was Potter concerned, you know, that it's possible that they've closed their doors. So my, my first question is, is why does it matter to Potter if they've closed their doors? So they've closed their doors. You know, yeah, is it the, I, like, like, is it because strange threat? Yeah. Like he says, I, I hear you've closed your doors. Like, who cares? So you've closed your doors. So you're not open that day. It it happens. You know, is it is it that the because the bank has crashed, so if the building alone is not open, it also is crashing? I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week with the whole idea that, you know, that they, they can't close their doors and they have the $2 and all that stuff. But but still, like, who cares? How does this, how does this affect their business? You know, we talked a little yesterday about, terms and conditions and loans business to business and is there some provision or something that's that maybe people in this day would have just understood and we don't know because it doesn't work this way anymore that you can you lodge a complaint with let's say the banking industry if a bank is supposed to have certain set hours and you choose not to be open to be able to get access to your funds and you can create can you create a problem with a with a, an investigation for wondering why you would have been closed when your normal hours are supposed to be to be able to have access to people's money, can you just close without reporting yourself as having a holiday or something? Ah, okay, that's interesting. And that would also explain maybe why Uncle Billy was there, as opposed to being at a, at a, at some other venue that was going on that day. Right. But it's still that doesn't make sense because because it, you know it's a supposition. Yeah, no, because we assume that, that Uncle Billy was supposed to be there. So, in other words, th- they were supposed to be closed today. I don't know because everybody lined up outside to try to get in, and and he's like, "Why is the door closed?" And he goes, "I closed up." So, I mean, they were supposed to be open. He closed after this happened. He said, but he was also he goes, I got scared and I closed." But he also was supposed to be at the wedding, I, you know, and I and can't all the four hold that. Right. I mean, all four of the employees were meant to be at the wedding. So is it the idea that you're going to close up for an hour? Maybe he was supposed to leave in the middle of the workday, just, you know, uh, out to lunch for an hour and then, uh, you know, show up at the ceremony and then run back. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely. And when we've pointed out, there's there's definitely something in, incongruous here. But the way Potter threatens and the way he 
ends this minute as well, talking about closing your doors. Makes me wonder if there's some provision somewhere you can cause a problem. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd have to research that piece of of history. But right. the implication, if we go by context clues, like if I'm just looking at the script, knowing nothing, my my gut tells me is there's some legal course of action or some kind of ramification for the business they're in if they were to close when they're not supposed to be. If it if they've got published hours and they're not open during those published hours, you can cause a problem. Right. Okay, that's fair. Do you think that the building alone is open seven days a week? Probably not. Now that's time at this time in our country, I can almost guarantee it wasn't open on Sunday. So you would think that that would be the best day to get married. <laughs> if George was yeah, gonna pick a day except- Except most people don't because that's typically a day that you would go to normal church services, which is why most weddings are on a Saturday or a day other than a typical, depending on your denomination. uh, You know, most Christians uh, go to church on a Sunday, so they don't normally schedule Sunday weddings because that's the day for the rest of the congregation to show up. So they're usually Saturday weddings. Ah, okay, All right. That's fair. I I I will defer to your knowledge on that since I have absolutely no idea when when. When, uh, you know, when Christian people get married. <laughs> Most, I, I'll tell you this, I have never, ever been to a Sunday wedding in a Christian uh, faith or even just a non, like a Christian base, but non necessarily specific denomination. You know, a lot of times they'll have a, an officiant show up somewhere else, even if it's not at a church, but it's, it's never on a Sunday. Interesting. That's actually very interesting because I know, for instance, Jewish weddings are usually on Sundays, and that's usually because everyone's off. You know that that's why people, you know, in, in the states at least, that's why people do it there. Um, interesting. No, never thought about it. You know, because again, because in my mind, people get married on Sundays. You know, so to right. me, it's like okay, if if the building alone is closed on a Sunday, that's the day you get married. You know, but okay, that makes sense to what you're saying. Um, and again, I mean, we know that George is on the way f- for vacation, so he's not going to be around for, you know, for, for a few months or whatever, it, however long it takes for him and Mary to go around the world. I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, that's why they've got other employees who will hopefully right. open the business when they're supposed to be open. That you know, right. This would be a I, – I don't 100% know, so I'm only going to say based on the context clues, there's got to be – you don't make this threat if there isn't some basis to the threat. Right. Okay. That's fair. And and then uh, – oh, well, I'm, I'm very – I'll, I'll add this. It could very well be the insinuation is I'm powerful enough that if you choose to close to try to avoid a run – I'm going to let everybody know the reason you close is because you don't have any money and create a bigger problem for you. I mean, it could very well be that the threat is I'm going to tell people why you closed. I'm going to make up my own reason why you closed. Right. Exactly. And then Potter continues and says, oh, I'm very glad to hear that. George, are you all right? Do you need any police? Police? This line. What for? This line when he goes (laughs) and he almost has a smile. Like, yes. you know, I'm like, you, oh, I'm, I get so angry at him with that line here. Like, <laughs> do you need some help? I mean, we could get the cops out there if you like, like, like he couldn't call the cops if he was worried about a mob. Right. That's right. <laughs> Police, what for? Well, mobs get pretty ugly sometimes, you know. George, I'm going all out of this to help you in this crisis. I've just guaranteed the bank sufficient funds to meet their needs. They'll close up for a week and then reopen. So first of all, uh, you know, as, as you pointed out, the, it's, it's a very strange comment for him to say, do you need the police to help with a mob? Yeah. Does he really believe that in Bedford Falls, there's going to be a mob, you know, well, a mob hey, of people. I'm not talking about the mafia. Look, no, I know. That's what I mean. I, you, you and I have in the last, even just few years, have watched what happens when groups of people get together and get animated and angry. They may do things as a mob that they wouldn't ordinarily do as individual citizens. And when you think your life savings may all of a sudden be gone, you might get emotional. Okay. All right. That, that That's fair. But I mean, obviously we know that that Potter is taking this to the extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his idea here is, is, 
is to to cause insurrection. You know, it's not a question of of him trying to trying to keep things uh, you know above board. That word. <laughs> I do think he's playing to use the, the the current phrase that we use today. I think he's trying to use fear porn. You know, hey, you know, you, do you need do you need anything? I mean, people can get crazy. You know, be careful. You don't want to take chances. People can do crazy things. You need. Like, I think he's purposely trying to paint the worst possible images in his head to manipulate him. Right. Right. And I mean, you know, the the whole idea of of saying that there's a mob outside. I mean, again, also, it's, I think it has to do with with the uh, with the terminology he's using. He's not referring to the people of Bedford Falls as you know, the good people about for falls, he's referring to them already as a mob. Right. So he's, he's trying to make things seem a lot worse than they really are. And I think that that's where he's going. And that, and that again shows how devious a person uh, Potter is, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's looking to cause trouble here. He's stirring the pot as they say, by, by talking yeah. this way. A hundred percent. This is, he, he has not only inserted the knife, He's enjoying twisting it. That's right. Now, wouldn't he be concerned that there's also a mob at the bank? You know, we didn't see policemen beating, uh, you know, with billy clubs, all the people at the bank. And you think people would be a little more disturbed there. Right. Well, he did just say, by the way, you know, I've just made a deal with the bank. So everything I've, I've calmed the situation at the bank. I'm willing to help calm your situation. No, but when George is running, George, you know, yesterday he ran. He ran past the bank. You know, we didn't see it. It looked like people just clamoring to get in. We don't see, right. you know, we don't see people trying to keep them out. And we don't see policemen there or whatever it is that's that's needed in order to, you know, keep things uh, in a more uh, calm fashion. I don't know. Right. I it, And I think it just goes back to what I said just a few seconds ago. I think Potter's trying to conjure up the worst possible images, trying to prey on the panic, the fear, the worry. And just he's just lumping everything onto it to try to manipulate George. Yeah. You know, but no, but I'm just talking about the fact of, you know, George could have said, well, I was just at the bank and everything was fine there. Uh, but then his response would be, well, I just I just made a deal with the bank. Yeah, it's. Yeah, this way, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me because, yes, logically, he's like, I didn't see a mob, but he did see a group of people. And what Potter's saying is, you know, I think he's inferring, well, it's very easy for a mob to get out of control. You know, you never know. They could all look real calm one second. All it takes, just one person throwing the first brick. Right. True. I mean, that's really what the point of mob psychology is when the, you know, that's why you always look for the provocateurs. All it takes is one or two people. If everyone's already getting emotionally ginned up, but, you know, because we're socially conditioned, okay, we can't break the law, we can't, you know, set fires, and we can't turn cars over, but you may have one or two knuckleheads who are very willing to do that, and if they are, and they're getting away with it, suddenly you might find yourself joining in, even though you wouldn't normally be the person who would throw the first brick. Right. Okay, that's fair. And again, I mean, he's he's trying to, to egg George on with this whole thing. One hundred percent. That's I think, what I he's doing. The point of this isn't, isn't supposed to be. Well, we just saw that they're not. I think the point is he's putting as much fear, and he's he's stoking. He it's like you said, he's stirring the pot. He's doing this on purpose. Yeah. And I, I love how he says that that he he's just trying to help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm going so me, all out to he, help. Meaning, I'm going he, beyond what I usually do to be able to help here. Right. Now, when he made that line, though, about the bank, it cuts to the guy in front of him. Do you get the idea that's the bank manager? That is the bank manager. We talked about that yesterday. We that we, I wasn't 100% sure who that was until, you know, they, they, they show us an acknowledgement that that is the bank manager because the, the, the guy looks very grateful. But could you have a more just weak, smarmy, just pathetic like stereotype of a of, of a of a banker in front of him i mean the little pencil almost french style mustache the coiffed hair the guy's patting his head like he's sweating bullets i mean it's just it kind of it's, it's 
almost it's pathetic that here's this guy like, thank you, Mr. Fodder. Thank you. It's almost like Renfro here. Like, thank you, master. I'm so happy you gave us money. I just, <laughs> it's funny the way it's staged for just this little shot. Yeah. They, they, they do do a great job of the way of, of, of doing that for us. I mean, it makes it look like Potter is obviously in 100% control and he has all the power, all the control. And this bank manager, supposed to this big bank, and he's over there going, Whew, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. You've, you've saved us. You've helped us. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, also, it, it just is really interesting the way that, you know, he, he mentioned the fact that he's guaranteed the bank sufficient funds. So, uh, again, you know, I'm not a, uh, you know, an economist. Definitely. I'm one of the farthest people you can come from for that. I don't understand enough <laughs> about these things. But to me, what that basically says is that, you know, I have money somewhere. And, you know, I, I guess he himself is not keeping his money in the bank because, you know, if he's able to guarantee funds to the bank. So he's basically saying to the bank, OK, they're. Uh, you know, people want the money. I'm willing to pay whatever people want. You know, I'll give, make sure that you have money. So where does he, where, you know, where's he storing his money? Apparently he doesn't trust in the bank and he's not going to, he doesn't want to get his interest in the bank. He's going to keep his in a vault or whatever it is. He's got like, uh, you know, like Scrooge McDuck. He's got, uh, you know, a room just filled with, <laughs> with, uh, bills and coins and all that stuff. He's got a swimming pool. He swims in his coins. <laughs> I, it, that wouldn't make sense. Wouldn't it? Yeah. No. And it's so weird to wrap our minds around. Okay. If there's a run on the bank, where's his money? Or is there a, which I'm sure there is, is there a different bank for a different class of person? Ah, is that what it is? Mm. You know, I only keep mine. Cause you always hear in, I only keep my stuff in the bank when, in, when in people, New York city. You know, that, that would, that's more or less what well, he's saying. Yeah. It, it could be. I, I mean, let's, you always hear about like when people like we talked about the FDIC uh, earlier in the week about I think it's up to 50,000, maybe more. I don't even, I'd have to go look it up. But if you had millions of dollars, you're probably not going to a local bank anymore because they can't insure that money up to that point. You would have to go to a special bank at that point. Mm. So I'm assuming there's different class banks depending on your wealth level. Okay. But but in order for him to be able to guarantee that money, he needs to be able to take his money out of that other bank to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he could be causing his his own bank to just to, to to have a run also. Yeah, but chances are, if we're talking about the elite, if we're talking about people who are multimillionaires, and you have one of them who says, "I'm going to make an investment in my community. I need to withdraw a few million dollars." The, it's probably nowhere near in terms of percentage as much as let's say um, like what's happening in the smaller bank when everybody's trying to pull all their life savings out. Right. I, I just feel like it's a different tier. Um, and chances are when you're dealing with other elites at this level, at the Potter level as, as crafted in this tale, I mean, they're probably having a good chuckle of it. I mean, he's probably like, I have just caused a run on the local bank. I'm about to take them all over. So I'm going to need to withdraw some of my funds to look like I'm swooping in to save the day only to just buy all of these shares, 50 cents on the dollar. And he's going to end up making even more money. And of course, what bank is going to think that because he took his money out to do that is a bad thing. They're just seeing, look, you're going to double your money. That's right. That's right. I mean, they, they probably have like a WhatsApp group, you know, for all the different, uh, you know, all of these, these evil, <laughs> evil millionaires. Yes. They, <laughs> they've got the, the little evil dictators club. They meet, you know, in these leather, leather lined lounges with, uh, with rugs on the floor, like, like bearskin rugs and fireplaces. They, they have their cognac, they smoke their cigars and they talk about how they're going to take over the world. That's right. And they just have to have, make, they just make sure that it's on the first floor so that Potter can, can, can actually get in. Well, because he's faking it. He can get wherever he wants to. No, but uh, that's right. The, the club, they all know he's faking it. So, you know, he for right. them, he doesn't need to fake it. That's true. Right. He gets, he strolls in and goes, I've got these poor rubes believing I'm a cripple. It's such a great power move. Right. <laughs> and then after he says this, so it, the, the shot changes to George, who we see him, like, whisper to Uncle Billy. He just took over the bank. <laughs> 
But Potter just keeps <laughs> pontificating and says, I may lose a fortune, but I'm willing to guarantee your people too. Just tell them to bring their shares over and I will pay 50 cents on the dollar. Oh, you never missed it. Let's back up for a second. Okay. Let's back up for a second. I th- and I love this. I love this about George Bailey's character. Because you just said it yourself. You're not up on the banking. I- I'm not 100% on banking. I'm not an economist. I'm not a finance person. But think about what you hear. I've just guaranteed the bank funds. I've saved the bank, whatever. It's not that he saved the bank. George Bailey realizes he just took over the bank. That's right. He recognizes what's actually happening here. Potter isn't swooping in and acting like the good guy. George Bailey gets it. He knows exactly what this means. That's right. Basically, Potter has, is is now the owner of the bank. That's what it comes down to. He, he's yeah. bought enough shares of the bank yep. to be able to take over and make the decisions. That's what it comes down to. And and it's great because I love when Jimmy Stewart and he doesn't even care that obviously Potter can hear him talking to Uncle Billy in the room. It's not like he's covering up the transmitter. <laughs> That's but he looks him straight. He, he in didn't the push eye the mute button. Like, Potter. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no mute button. But he's like that look of dawning recognition of of what's happening. The 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 or like George Bailey in some ways is almost innocent. But yet we get this fantastic glimpse that when it comes to the banking world, when it comes to what he knows, what he when the the the, the movers and shakers in this industry, banking and finance, he knows exactly now what's going on. He knows exactly who's behind it. Why else is Potter calling him? Like every you get every red flag going up in the world, and here he is saying, "I just saved the bank." He goes, "No, you didn't. You just took over the bank." That's right. And he knows that's exactly what this plan was. Right. Create a run, cause the bank to go into a panic, come in and pretend to save the day, only to now say, by the way, now it's my bank. That's right. And I, I think that, mm. that that visually they're telling us something here also, because right after George says to Uncle Billy, he just took over the bank, George sits down as if to say, mm-hmm. you know, I can't believe he just took over the bank now also. You know, that's one more thing that we're now going to have to deal with with Potter. You know, you can feel the, 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 the weight coming you know, on to, to George, and then he has to sit down to, you know. Yeah. Like, are you sitting down? Now I am, <laughs> you know. And Potter doesn't doesn't miss the trick and, and is willing to offer the same thing for George. But George already knows that he's taking over for him. You know, he's taking over the bank this way. So if he takes – if he helps them, he's going to want to take, take over the building alone also. I, and, and I agree. I, I think he knows that. I'm going to I'm going to differ with you on one thing here. Potter is seated. Potter is in a comfortable position saying, I'm going to call the shots. The bank manager is standing in front of him. The bank manager is not being asked to sit. The bank manager is not relaxed. He's up there still wiping his brow and smiling like a goofball, just happy that he's got some shares, not even realizing maybe that he just lost his bank. When George realizes it, as you say, he goes to sit down, and it's an immediate cut. He sits, and it cuts right back to Potter, who's sitting. It's almost like Potter – or like George is imitating Potter's position of, now I'm sitting just like you. You think you're comfortable calling the shots. I'm going to listen to you, but I'm going to call my own shots. I, I wow. almost see it not necessarily a weekend. I see it as he's mirroring Potter, but in the – in in the sense of showing strength, but not strength for evil, strength for good. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. I didn't think about that. Um, but then again, how does George know that, that Potter is sitting down? No, obviously we know. And he's, he can't stand up. Um, no, I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> Dummy. No, I knew that. I knew. <laughs> I was waiting for you to, to, waiting to see if you figured that out. <laughs> Oh my goodness! No, but we see we see it later on when George when George has a meeting with Potter and he sits down, you know the you know the that that Potter has the person sitting in front of him on a very very low low seat, you know once again showing who's in charge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that, that that's Potter for you. I think 
something else. That's, it's not exactly mirror per se, but it does also, I think, lend credence, credence to what I think the director was trying to do visually in the back and forth. Because Potter's to the left of the screen looking in, mm-hmm. like to the to the room. And then when we cut back to George, who just sits he's down, looking at us. he's more to the right of the frame, looking more not I mean he's looking more to us, but he's also like if you put them across from each other in a split screen, it's almost like they're talking to right. each other from one side of the frame to the other. Correct. So I like it. I also like that Potter can afford the brand new fangled one piece phone versus the two piece. Ah, that's true also. Good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got state-of-the-art tech That's here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think, because we have to always remember, and somebody like, if if Joe Schmo out of film school is putting out a movie, you can say, well, are they really crafting these scenes this way? You look at Frank Capra and the body of work and you go, there's a reason why people are placed where they are. There's a reason why, even if you don't stop to analyze it as a watcher of a movie, you just pick up on these things. A lot of times it's it's the subtext, it's the undertone, it's the nonverbal, but I think it's intentional. He's sitting in a power position, calling all the shots, literally on the phone, calling right. the shots. And I love that George Bailey, who, by the way, probably doesn't have a single idea how he's going to counteract this, knows what's happening. And his gut instinct is, I'm not going to get right. in. I need to figure out. Uh, and I plan. I mean, we, we see over the next few weeks, you know, how how he has to try and think of a plan. But but still. Yeah, it 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 leads us very quickly in this space of this exchange. You know who the hero is. You know who Correct. the villain is. If there was any doubt, there's there's no doubt anymore. You know who the hero is. You know who the villain yeah. is. I, I've asked this question of, of other uh, guests. Who do you think is more villainous, Potter or um, Hans Gruber? Ooh, Potter. Yeah. And the reason I say Potter is Hans Gruber was looking to steal money from a corporation. And yeah, he may have the ultimate plan was to kill maybe 50 or 60 people to hide the fact that he escaped. But Potter is willing to ruin the lives of everybody in the community in which he lives. He's willing to ruin everyone's lives, take over everyone's business to be the ultimate hoarder of power and and be able to still walk down the street, not go hide or have people think he did it and get, or that he committed an act, but he died in the process. And therefore, he he's willing to do it and flaunt it and get away with it in front That's of right. everybody. OK, I agree with you on that. I, I, I would say the same thing that Potter is uh, is. But it's funny, you know, putting the two together because, you know, Alan Rickman was also in Harry Potter. So and, and that's his name. Potter's name is Harry Potter. You do know that. <laughs> His name is Henry F. Potter, Harry Potter. (laughs) So, you know, what's crazy about the name Potter when I saw this for the very first time, because I know obviously everybody thinks about him being the bad guy. So they all know when it turns into Potterville and everybody's Potter and Potter's a bad name. I had by the time I see I had watched this, the only time I'd ever heard of Potter was Colonel Potter in MASH. And I was like, well, that's a good guy. And so in my (laughs) head, I had to resolve the that Potter's a bad guy in this. And then Harry Potter came and they let you balance it out. There's, there are more right. good Potters than evil Potters. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes. There, there, there was just one. There was one that went awry. That's right. <laughs> Apparently. And he has no kids. So it's not as if uh, anyone is going to be able to take over, you know, the, 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 the business afterwards. What Potter basically says to, to George is, is that tell everyone by you, you know, that, uh, Tell them to bring their shares over here, and I'll give them 50 cents on the dollar. Which means that basically any money that any shares they have there, they'll get half their money. Which makes you wonder what type of deal he made with the bank. Maybe it was the same thing also. Well, I I assume it's got to be yeah. something like that. He's not <laughs> he's not about to take a loss. I mean, he's trying to say he makes that line. He says, "I may be willing to risk millions." No, he's That's not. Right. <laughs> No, he's not. He's not. He's not losing anything. No, he's losing. He's, he's losing money. in the short term, but but he knows in the long term. He he plays the long game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He may be losing only in the sense that he had to take some money out to make those shares whole, but he knows those those shares 
are going to be worth more than what he's buying them for, and he's willing to That's play right. that game. That's right. And then the argument gets a little heated because Georgian then says, oh, you never miss a trick, do you, Potter? Well, you're going to miss this one. Now, I always find it really funny that, that George calls him to his face Potter as opposed to Mr. Potter, just that, just to give him, you know, a normal courtesy. There is no normal courtesy here is because he calls him George. You know, he doesn't call him Bailey. He doesn't say Mr. Bailey or anything right. like that. It's George, George and Potter, you know, which, which mm-hmm. is, is interesting, that type of dynamic. No, I, I, I and I, and I wonder why, because like in the military, people are known by their last name because it's just less, it's more formal technically than to say like you see more friendly if you use someone's right. first name or you try more distantly it's more distant more distant when you use right. a last name yes by the way what i can't figure this out and i've watched it multiple times what the heck is in bailey's hair what are those flakes it's not snowing outside and he didn't bump into anything. There's no plaster. What are all those white bits that are in his hair in this take? And, and you see it later when he stands up. But any no idea whatsoever. Maybe it's plaster from the uh, from 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 the the wall that we were talking about. That uh... <laughs> the ceiling's coming. It just it looks like a, for for all the crafting of all the scene and everything. It's weird that there's just some stuff in his hair. Where'd it come from? Oh, I know what it is. We talked about it at the beginning of the week. What did they throw at George? It must be rice. Well, I guess we could assume that. Well, what else could it be? That's an interesting detail in, because you know this wasn't shot the same day that they were leaving the, the, the reception. That's an interesting detail. If they literally went to the degree of showing bits of rice and we and and we would just know i mean that's that's my only guess because it's not snow it, you're right i mean you're right it, that that that's the only other thing that makes sense is it's bits of rice from when they just left the wedding that's that's okay that's a cool detail only in the sense that it makes sense logically to what just happened but it's distracting as everything to me watching i'm like what the heck is well, that because, because we're doing this minute by minute you you just forgot that he got married I mean, and it's definitely all in his hair when he stands back up, like when we get and I, and I don't mean to jump ahead, but we come back, obviously, after the phone call and you can still see it as he puts it, runs his hands through his hair. You still right. see bits in his hair. So that, that's got to be what it yeah. is. It's got to be the rice. That's what I would think. And then Potter starts screaming at him and he goes, if you close your doors before 6 p.m., you will never reopen. And then George actually just hangs up on him. <laughs> and. And Potter is really, really upset about that. He's like trying to figure out why, you know, why he doesn't hear George anymore. Don't know. (laughs) This is great. Hello? Hello? And did did, did phones used to work that way? Because everyone does that in just about every movie I've ever seen up to the point of digital phones. Did you get a connection back? Did you, did did hitting the hang up button a bunch of times in a row suddenly get a connection (laughs) back? I mean, they do it in in so many movies, but I don't I can't imagine that when you click that you're disconnecting the line, even if it's just a momentary click. What in the heck do you think getting it multiple? Maybe they were maybe they think that you were put on the call waiting. You know, that's the way. Isn't that what you do? You press the button. You do that to get to the other call. So maybe that's the idea that that something happened and it pushed you to a different (laughs) call. And now you got to go back. (laughs) I don't think they had that then, though. I'm pretty they sure. They probably didn't, but that's not the point. The point is, is that. You know what I mean? They do that in every movie to illustrate. Hello? Is there something wrong with my phone? No. That's they right. hung up and on it's him. great because we don't even see George hang up on him. No, no, we don't. We don't even hear a click. They don't even put us, they don't even give us a little audible, you know, like they would do today in, 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 in a, the, the sound right. design. You just, he's in the middle of talking. He's like, hello? <laughs> hello? <laughs> He's he's missing the uh, the 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 penguin uh, you know c- uh, cigarette. Uh, that's yeah, it. All he needs a long, the long uh, extension of a cigarette. Burgess Meredith the peng- penguin. <laughs> yeah, George, George really lets lets Potter have it at this point. But but I think you know you mentioned this uh, earlier today. I think or maybe it was yesterday. The the idea that the threat is if you close your doors, I'm gonna make sure. 
that that there's a there's going to be problems with you reopening. It, it's not as if they they you know they necessarily have a, an issue with with their customers if they close. It's an issue with either the bank or Potter will just make sure that okay I'm going to get them closed down. You know that type of thing. So I think that uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and now let's throw one more thing that if he just technically took over the bank and Potter knows that the savings and loan here, the building and loan may still have outstanding debt to that bank. That means it's outstanding right. debt to Potter. That's right. You can say, well, you guys still owe us another, uh, you know, $8,000. So without that money, I'm just going to have to close you down. Right. Okay. Right. I, I, it, there's definitely, no matter what the context clues are, you can't close you can't shut the doors to your customers and if they come in demanding all their money which by the way you might as well infer he's going to try to make phone calls saying i heard that the building alone ran out of money you better get down there Um, this is this is just deceivious this is just you worry that there are people to i mean i i think about this all the time i'm always a, a sucker into thinking people are trying to be good that they sometimes do bad things, but there are people who are okay, literally stealing everything from everyone and ruining people's lives. And they don't care because that's all they care about is making their own money. And I can't wrap my mind around that. I I have never, I've been around this earth more than 53 years now. uh, And I still, I'm just in awe that there are people who have everything and it's still not enough. They're willing to ruin people's right. lives for more. No, I agree with you on that. Uh, you know, but that that's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to understand those type of people when you yourself are not like that. So yeah, makes it a little bit more, more uh, impossible to understand. Right. Yeah. It also makes me dislike him even more. <laughs> yes. I, compl- I definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> and then the, the shot changes and we're, we're back in, in, uh, uh, Billy's office with George and George looks up and he sees a the portrait of his father on Uncle Billy's wall also and do, did you notice that quote that, mm-hmm. that they have underneath which is a great quote underneath it it has like a, a needle pointed you know thing that says all you can take with you is that which you've given away which which is great you know basically once once you're no longer here the only things that you can really take with you are the things that people will remember you for having done for them. You know, that's the type of thing. Um, right. It's, it's, it's a great quote, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it really says so much about this movie, you know, about the idea that here's someone who is planning on taking, taking his own life, you know, and it has nothing. And he thinks it has to do with the fact that he, that he owes money, but in the end, you know, you, you can't take that with you, but I guess that goes back to another Capra movie. You can't take it with you. So, you know, maybe, maybe that was part of the in joke here. <laughs> I do think it's a great message and it explains the theme of the movie. Y- you may think what's important is the, is the money or the fame or the power. You don't realize that even just, oh, it's, I will take a line from the Lord of the Rings. Even the smallest person can affect right. the course of history. You have no idea the ripples you've created in your own community. And you, you might be as, as, as maybe weak as you think you are compared to Potter in terms of power and, 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 and authority and, and influence. You may still be enough of a counterbalance that's been holding him in right. check by being there. And I, I do like that message, and I like that theme throughout this entire movie, the idea that no matter how small you think you right. are, you're still important. I, I agree. I, lo- I love that message both here and in Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, I like to think we can take oh, it back to our own lives. Of course. <laughs> I was just talking about the pop culture <laughs> references, of course. Yep. Yes, I, I know that people will think of me for the show. That's it, you know. <laughs> what I've given to them through this show, <laughs> where the people I've driven crazy by listening to, to my dissection of, of all of these movies. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you love what you're doing, right. people can pick up on That's it. That's definitely. And I, uh, <laughs> and I applaud you. It's why I'm here. I, I, I love it. 
I, I enjoy this right now. Just you and me talking. No one's even heard this yet because it's not out yet. We're, we're, we're doing this ahead of time, right? So I'm having a great yeah, time. That's right. There's no audience. We're not no. doing it. There's no paycheck. That's we're right. We're just doing it because we love it. And when when you look at George, George looks at his father's portrait for a few seconds, and like he puts his hand on his head, making him. To me, it's another visual cue that George is basically saying to himself, "Okay, what would Peter Bailey do in this situation?" You know, am I doing am, am I doing this mm-hmm. the way that Peter Bailey wants me to do it? You know, as much as George hates being in the building alone and that this is not the place he wanted to be in his life, you know, he still, you know, uh, this is four or five years, four and a half years after his father died. He still is trying to make his father proud with what he's doing. And just by looking at that picture, you know, he can, you know, he can basically be saying, it, am I am I doing this? Is this is this what you want me to do? Is this the way I should be doing things? And I think I think he believes that 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 he is doing the right thing here, and that Peter would definitely approve of it. So, you know, it's 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 great just seeing that little little shot there. No matter what, it's a nice moment of a son trying to figure out: Am I still measuring right. up to my dad? That's right. And then he he starts walking out of the room, and you can see on his face. That he's a little confused at this point, you know, like he's he's his mind is racing, trying to figure out, okay, how is he going to uh, save the building alone from Potter? You know, what's he going to do? And then he gets interrupted. Right. I also, I also think he's looking toward the other room, realizing I got to go say something now to these That's people. Right. And then he gets interrupted by uh, by Billy, who says from George, was it a nice wedding? <laughs> Gosh, I wanted to be there. but you know what's nice about that question which seems to come from out of nowhere with all of the concern and all the weight of the world right george smiles correct he smiles at at, at the attempt i mean obviously he knows my uncle didn't do anything wrong nobody we're in a bad situation but it's not because anybody in this office did something not yet i can blame them for (laughs) just wait just wait 12 years (laughs) yeah hold on i'm only talking about this moment in time i I agree it's very fair (laughs) and and that's how this minute ends we we can slightly see the you know uncle billy's pinky and we'll you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that on monday probably uh you know about the fact that you know Uncle Billy theoretically should have been at the wedding or a part of it, and you know, but but everyone realizes that he is very absent-minded and doesn't seem to remember these things. You know, doesn't seem to remember a lot of things, which <laughs> will come up quite often in the rest of this movie. Because, like, again, twelve years from now, why trust someone like this with so much money? But we're jumping ahead. <laughs> yes, we'll, we are. we'll get there. We'll get there. Just, just. Uh, patience in in another uh, a month and a half will will we'll be there, something like that. <laughs> All right. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about uh, <laughs> this uh, this this minute or this week's minutes or the movie in general? Uh, so this minute, no. Uh, this week, not so much. But the movie in general, um, I can only reiterate what I uh, hinted to earlier in the week. I never really wanted to see this movie when I was younger because I just kind of thought it was a sappy. Don't ask me why. I have always had the wrong impression of this movie until I finally saw it. I just assumed it was, it's a wonderful life. Look how great. Everything's great with the world. I literally fell into the trap of believing the title was what the movie's about, which it kind of is, but in a backward way. And I then got mad at myself that it took me until I was in my mid to late 20s to ever watch this the first time. And I wish I had seen it younger. I wish I had seen it sooner. It may have had a much bigger impact even on my life more than it did by the time I realized, oh, well, of course your life has meaning. Of course you have impact on your community. But you don't think about that when you're in middle school or high school when a lot of people probably have seen this movie for the first time, especially with the tradition of the holidays. A lot of people associate it with a Christmas movie or at least an end of year mm-hmm. holiday movie. Um, I think it's... And I think back to the fact that this was a flop for Capra. Yes. 
and here we are talking about it and it is aired every year religiously somewhere people have a tradition of watching it every single year and um and I, and I'm glad I'm in that bucket of people that now w- w- appreciates this movie so much more than I ever did okay all right very cool Thank you. Thank you for that explanation about that. Uh, every Friday, we have a segment called Oscar Oops, where the idea is <laughs> Oops. that's right. Where the idea is, is that uh, every year, you know, the people are that are fans of the Oscars, people that aren't fans of the Oscars, doesn't really matter. For the last 95 years, people have been, you know, uh, elites have been making have been voting as to what they think are the their best movies of each year. And those of us movie lovers uh always will have our uh take on it of whether we think that that uh, they got those uh decisions right or wrong so the idea here is is uh you know to give my my guest a chance to mm-hmm. you know tell us their view as to which movies they think uh are ones that uh, were just you know were less deserving of of winning best picture and you know whichever ones didn't win you know what 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 movie they they think should have won instead that year all right so ready this is gonna be my top five but i do have an honorable mention number five and i can say officially the first movie i ever saw in the movie theater i saw it live when it opened but in 1977 a small little movie took the world by storm that should have been much more recognized as the impact it has worldwide any home might be okay, but how do you beat Star Wars? 1977. That should have been the best picture of the year because it was the most amazing movie to come out that year. Okay. Great choice. Number four. For me, maybe one of my all-time favorite movies, certainly in my top three. But in 1975, we now have a thing called a blockbuster thanks to Jaws. And I can't believe... That as good as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is, and it's a great movie, Jaws has had a far more Im- lasting impact. Once again, it's a movie known around the world. It it changed everything about movies and when they're released and what they can do and the amount of money that they're brought in that they can bring in. So number four, Jaws, 1975. Number three, we go to 2001. A little bit, a little bit more recent in the 2000s. And I do like Russell Crowe, but but how in the world do you look at the epic Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, at what that was attempting to pull off? How do you look at the achievement of just part one and say that that's not as good of a movie as A Beautiful Mind? I mean, Lord of the Rings started something that and should have easily taken the best picture that year. Number two. Now, I enjoy The Sting. I enjoy movies that, you know, that's a good, good flick. but. When you talk about a movie that changed the way we watched movies, The Exorcist, 1973, uh, uh, unbelievable. It still, to me, is the, whenever we have our list of the scariest movies we've ever seen, it's still my number one scariest movie I've ever seen. The movie that's had the longest impact on me. And to to have, like, that's what movies do. And to be able to still be with me to this day, to the degree of when I first saw it, that to me should have been the Oscar winner. Wow. Okay. We now move to 1998, and I love Shakespeare in Love. Great movie. Not better than Saving Private Ryan. The fact that Saving Private Ryan wasn't the best picture of the year, it's a shame because there was no better film. When you look at Elizabeth, when you look at The Thin Red Line, when you look at Life is Beautiful, all good movies. But there was one movie that is easily a cut above, not in just filmmaking technique, but in story, in epic, in feel. And once again, worldwide. And everyone, everyone wanted to see that movie and live that life and see what it was like to be in World War II, Saving Private Ryan. And that's when I noticed three of or two of my movies are Spielberg movies. I guess he should have been recognized sooner. Well, he was recognized already. Uh, you know, he, he, he was recognized in 93. So. Yeah. Now, my honorable mention and the reason I bring it as an honorable mention is if I mention Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, which starts it to me, the Lord of the Rings is just one big movie released in three parts. So I know they finally decided, well, we'll give him all the awards in the third year for the third part. But how do you ignore 
parts one and two. Obviously, if the third part gets all the Oscars, it's just the continuing story of what you were able to somehow pull off and pull together. So my honorable mention in the year of 2002 is Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Okay. I know Chicago is a great musical, but you're going to try to tell me that that's a better movie than The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, pulling off what Peter Jackson pulled off. To me, there is no greater movie experience right now. There has not been one to beat The Lord of the Rings. And and we make sure that my wife and I do a marathon of all three movies back to back to back, usually over a long weekend, at least once a year, if not twice a year. The the, the theatrical version, right? No. <laughs> no, bite your tongue, sir. There is no version to watch other than... I know. I'm cut, kidding. Sir. I'm kidding. The extended cut is the only way to I go. Know. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I think, the, and and if you notice the movies I picked, yes, they were popular movies, and I get that. There was a point in time that used to frustrate me with the Oscars is, okay, so you'll nominate a popular movie, but then you somehow denigrate saying, well, if it's popular, it can't be good. It can't be like, quote, of substance and merit. Well, I'm sorry, but the movies I just gave you all have lots of substance, lots of merit, lots that you can glean. They're, they're, they're epic tales that stick with you from the time you've watched them. And most of these we watch over and over and over and over again. And I, it's great if you think an Oscar-nominated movie needs to be so so heavy and so deep that you'll watch it once and go, wow. But if you only want to watch it once and go, gosh, I'll never watch that again, how can that be the best picture? Right. That's right. But that's also why we look at it. We look at this. We can look backwards on the 95 years, and we have – you know, we, we can see the impact of these movies ever since. Back then, you know, every year when the decision is made, you know, you don't know where things are going to go and how it's going to, you know, what what impact the movie will have in the future. So, all right, great. Thank you very much for that list, Alan. Would you like to one final time this week, maybe not this season, who knows, you might be back. You you have surprised me, you know, or you've surprised everyone by, by, by coming back in, in previous seasons. So would you like to once again tell people where they can find Alan Sanders? Yeah, absolutely. If you are interested, I did do a Movies by Minutes podcast a while ago with my buddy Walt Murray. We did, we dove into two different Gene Wilder movies. You can look for The Wilder Ride. It's still out there. We did uh, Young Frankenstein Season 1. We did Blazing Saddle Season 2. There's still talk that we might go back and finally do Silver Streak, which had been our plan for season three. But we did do two other seasons where we turned it into a more of a talk show format when the world caught a cold and we couldn't meet and couldn't talk and couldn't do a bunch of stuff. So they're, they're still all out there. If you're interested in current events, politics, I've mentioned it every day this week, The Alan Sanders Show. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Just do a Google search. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a search, quick search for Move Your Out Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And you can find me on my website, moveyouroutminute.com. So, Alan, thank you very much for joining me this week. I've, I've had a blast. Um, I hope you have. Too. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And I will be back on Monday with a new guest. But until then... Hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly dear. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.